Hello, welcome to Cinelit. My name is Adam Marsh. Uh, today's episode is part two of our wide-ranging discussion on the new Hollywood movement of the 1960s, 70s and early 80s. Uh, part two, we are now discussing the fall of new Hollywood. Enjoy. I guess looking at uh, Easy Rider and Apocalypse Now as, as the start and finish. But if we talked about freedom early on, as, Be- as Becky brought up, the freedom to make the films was both the ignition and the fuel of New Hollywood, but it's also the death of New Hollywood as well. Because at the start, you've got the freedom to make The Godfather, you've got the freedom to make um, Easy Rider. Easy Rider, perfect. you've got the freedom to make Easy Rider for £100,000. Whereas in the early 80s, you've got the freedom to make one from the heart... For forty million dollars or whatever the budget was for that, <laughs> and build your own studio, and build your own studio yeah, yeah. for what is essentially a, a small scale musical, <laughs> you know. So I think the, the 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 potential risks go alongside Hollywood not feeling like they know what they what makes money anymore. And I think at the start of New Hollywood, not knowing what makes money, but then these guys coming on, well, we know what makes money give us a hundred thousand pounds i'll make you a million million pound profit the 80s boom period where you had high concept ideas led to some very very strange movies getting made because hollywood just didn't know what was right you know what 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 was worse so you had things like um you had things like et and back to the future you know which were high concept ideas and then you also had things like the adventures of buckaroo banzai across the eighth yeah, dimension yeah. where you just like <laughs> what the hell all, all of those films were risks really uh, exactly who, yeah who knew that back to the future and et were going to take off well, they, they, yeah. they could have buckaroo banzai could have could have caught on exactly well, that, that's exactly <laughs> that right yes yeah, so, so when so when yeah, yeah. so when like um you know um Francis Ford Coppola goes to the studio and goes, give me £40 million to make this musical. It's like, okay, well, he's got a track record. Great, no problem. Here's the money. Let's make let's make more money. Yeah, yeah. Is, is some, some of this, I think, as well, is to do with the fact that um, I, I don't know the history of drugs in, in old Hollywood. I'm <laughs> sure there's plenty, but... but yeah, Sounds like my, a book, that. Yeah, my, <laughs> my perception is, you know, Hopper and Fonda and people and Brewster and have, have sort of bought LSD into Hollywood sort of under the radar you know but Hollywood's drug of choice has then gradually become cocaine yeah and that's that is where you're then getting these oh yeah Michael Cimino will will give you 50 million dollars and you you can you can move that tree you know 300 yards if you want to and it'll cost a hundred thousand dollars and we'll do it you know yeah yeah I, I think it is that procession from one drug to another may <laughs> have had some influence on all of that. That's, that's an interesting is, angle to take on yeah. the history of Hollywood there, isn't it? Is it also as well, do you think, maybe of the studio again getting back involved and taking control when really they're not the people that should be <laughs> should be in charge? Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> well, it's just proving the fact that the hippies, hippies being in charge is never a good idea. Even their own films yeah, yeah, say it's not yeah. a good idea. Yeah, it's kind of like the grassroots of it was like they knew what they were doing, but it started snowballing into a fact of what the grassroots of it was, was does you know, anti-establishment, and it's starting now to become, again, a money machine again. And so, so, so moving on to that then, because it's one of the other things that probably people don't think about as New Hollywood, but does, is forms part of it. It's not just your art house films, it's not just your classic cinema, Hollywood cinema, and, and, and making great stories, and LSD-inspired <laughs> road movies and things like that. 
You've also got the filmmakers that are enamoured with other filmmakers. So you got the movie brats. The movie brats. Yeah, movie yeah. brats. Yeah. So you got like um, Scorsese, a couple of people like that. George Lucas. George Lucas. Yeah. Steven yeah. Spielberg is the I guess the two that you could argue have had the most impact on the way cinema went from the mid seventies. The introduction of the classic blockbuster, I guess, mm. now are people queuing around the block yeah. um, to yeah. see these films. So we're at, we're at that point now where, you know, every you, you, you're in sort of 1977 or 78 and every good film that you go and see has got a reference to John Ford's The Searchers in it. Yeah, we do, exactly, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, 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 that, that, that kind of thing. It's yeah. like, instead of, so, instead so of referencing so, Antonioni, yeah. Yeah. you're referencing yeah. John Ford now. You know, you've got, <laughs> you've got Paul Schrader writing Taxi Driver and then writing and directing Hardcore... Which, which are both basically remakes of The Searchers. Mm. George Lucas rips off at least one major set piece from The Searchers in Star Wars, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the whole sensibility of Star Wars and the whole sort of desert setting of it, you know, it sort of reflects that particular movie. And that's just one example, you know, The Searchers is one of these films that seem to have caught on with this generation, but there are others, and you'll see them repeated time and time again in yeah. these films. But it's great, you know, it's, it, it's, it's really good in terms of all these years on now, if you're trying to teach people about film, and this is what, you know, the, the, the cine lit idea is all about, it's great to be able to take a Star Wars fan, someone who, someone who loves Rogue One or whatever, and has seen the early trilogy, and to be able to sit them down and say, oh yeah, this bit's taken from John Ford, this is taken from Kurosawa, you know, and maybe just spark something off and get them interested in those other directors and see who George Lucas's influences were. Yeah. So it's very interesting from an educational point of view. Or I, I, I love the idea that people self-educate on film, that you can go onto Netflix or you can you can rent a bunch of Blu-rays or whatever, and you can actually read up on this and you can you can read who Spielberg's influences are and you can then go and seek them out for yourself. And I think that's a fascinating sort of legacy from this whole period. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the idea of, of history runs through New Hollywood, uh, yeah. which is kind of strange when you think about, like, a lot of movements like this in other areas is burn the past build a new, you know, you put your punk movement yeah, in music, yeah. you know, screw all that rubbish, it's, it's terrible, new, new, new but with, with, with this, this, this new, embraced it this embraced yeah, the past yeah. and twists it and makes it their own yeah. which is, I think is a fascinating take on it, yes, yeah. well it's, it's taking a film like The Searchers and saying, hey you know, John Ford made this western, John Wayne, everyone went to see this big John Wayne film in 1955 but what it's actually about is the same concerns that we've got in the hippie movement, you know, we're taking that from it and we're, we're, we're interpreting the film in that particular way and we're going to make our own versions of it, you know, set in squalid New York or, or squalid Los Angeles. And and, um, uh, and that's The Searchers is, is a great example, you know, for anyone who's interested in sort of tracing these influences on, on these 70s films. You know, The Searchers is the sort of key go-to sort of movie text but yeah there are plenty of others and, mm. and you'll see a lot of other films reflected in the work of uh, you know Coppola, Scorsese all the people we've mentioned De Palma being perhaps the big one um, yeah very influenced what, by Italian Jello yeah, thrillers yeah and... yeah but also by Blow Up and, and mm. uh, which again had its I would incorporate Blow Up as an Italian Jello that, thriller well, that, that, so yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. That, <laughs> that, 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 that sort of sits outside the Jello <laughs> with a huge influence on it yeah, yeah. 
De Palma is influenced by those those sort of Italian European thrillers, but also he, he brings in sort of conspiracy elements and things. He does this mixture, you mm. know, which is great. And you can tell he's been watching the French New Wave too. And and he, his his films manage to sort of mingle all of this together, which makes for remarkable entertainment. And then the weird the weird thing that then happens with subsequent generations is they get influenced by what they've seen in Scorsese and Coppola and De Palma and George Lucas yeah. films, perhaps without knowing the. The, the influences and only finding those out later. Well, I, I mean, that's one that I guess that's one of the problems is without knowing the context of where the influences are coming from, are people trying to remake, not remake somewhere, but take influence from the wrong parts of what made Jaws a great movie, what made Star Wars a great movie, rather than what made Jaws a great success and what made Star mm. Wars a great success. You know, they're, they're taking, they're trying to find the, the reason why Star Wars made. X amount of millions at the box office. Why did Jaws make loads of money? Why were people literally queuing around, busting the block to get to see this film? They're looking for those reasons, I guess. Which is why you could level the argument that the release of Jaws rang the death knell for for New Hollywood. Um, If you want to look at it in a really pessimistic kind of way. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what I think. Because obviously, when you were, when they were making like Easy Rider and Bonnie and Clyde and things like that, they weren't necessarily thinking, oh, this is going to make loads of money. And you know, uh, the independent films, they must have been aware that this is not going to make, be a big, huge success. You're making it for a different reason. But as soon as money comes involved, then the creative side of things start to take less priority. So, yeah. With all that said, there were some independent movies still being made through the late 70s with distinct voices. We talked about John Waters um, um, earlier and his his particular brand of (laughs) bad taste cinema was was making inroads into late night shows and making money and giving him a career for a start. Yeah. Um, And Divine as well. Yeah, yeah, indeed, and and you know, uh, some on 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 the notes that you've prepared, Adam, you, yeah. you've mentioned uh, there's there's people like Ralph Bakshi as well, who's who's doing sure. doing controversial animated feature films, and and then you've got the whole um, there's there's the black exploitation thing going on, which is something sort of that that happens around the same time and has got its own particular concerns in terms of protest. But you've also got voices like um, Melvin Van Peebles and mm. people like that who are making more serious films on those sort of themes, like like Sweet Sweet Back's Badass Song, which you sure, which he couldn't know, get yeah. fine. He had a three picture deal with, I think Universal. He had a three picture deal with Universal, but they wouldn't fund yeah, Sweet yeah, Sweet Back's Badass yeah. Song, so he had to get a loan from Bill Cosby of all people yeah, yeah. to make this movie. <laughs> So uh, the independent spirit was still alive yes. in, uh, particularly in black exploitation films. They were making them in um, many cases independently. So mm. it, it embodies New Hollywood in that respect, definitely. And yeah. then, like Bakshi in the animation world and yeah. well, again, culture I, I world. Think, I think it's 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 the the age of the filmmakers, the fact that they're young people primarily making them or starring in them, you know. And it's the shared theme, the community that was going to see the black exploitation movies and the, the hippie sort of thing that was going on around Haight-Ashbury and places had the same concerns, you know, that they, they all mistrusted the police, you mm. know, none of them wanted to go to Vietnam. And the fact that you've got these two different sets of films, they, they actually do sort of lace together, you know. And again, Rod, Roger Corman, again, is right there. You know, AIP are right there. They're making all the black exploitation yeah. stuff, you know. Samuel Z. Arkoff's raking in the dollars from those films. Mm. Uh, 
and, and Jack Hill again is a, a, a white director is, is directing a lot of them so yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't forget Larry Cohen in this mix as well. Oh, Larry, Larry Cohen. Cohen. Another, um, well, he's like Romero. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's making horror films primarily. He did, did do you know one or two other little sidelines, um, Private Files with J. Edgar Hoover and things like that, which is a brilliant film. But yeah, he's primarily making horror movies, but they've got something to say, yeah. and they've got something to say about 70s America. Mm. You know, I think that's one of the key things coming out of Moses. Is like nearly all the films have got something to say. Yeah. And on subjects that the audience would understand yeah. and, and that would be affecting the audience mm. directly. Yeah, mm. yeah. If, if, if any decade had um, um, lots of things for people to be talking about, it was a great decade for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it, it is. It's all about trust issues. It's all about, uh, you know, being forced to do things you don't want to do. It's yeah. about the man, you know, and, and, <laughs> yeah, and the man. To, use, to use that great 70s phrase, you know. And and um, and yeah, there's a lot of shared communities there who've, who've got these sort of shared visions, but they're all off doing their own little pockets of film. But yeah, <laughs> often all under the banner of American international pictures. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe we got it wrong. Maybe we got it wrong. It's not Jack Nicholson. It's not Warren Beatty. It's not it's, Magicom. It's, it's, it's AIP. Yeah, it's James Nicholson. Yeah, it's yeah, James yeah. Nicholson. Yeah. So yeah, so we've got the blockbusters booming. Hollywood, they're making more money. Their budgets are going higher and higher. It can only keep going positive and upbeat and continue making more and more and more and more and more, and more money surely that's the only way to go isn't it audience has stopped going to see the film so that's that, it that, that's simply it yeah. that is literally no, it, isn't it nobody wanted to see Heaven's Gate yeah so we, we, so we, we talked about some of those key moments that initiated the downfall I guess we think that's Jaws making new Hollywood films have to make I guess before that Exorcist as part of that, and The Godfather, in some ways, they made so much money and were so critically acclaimed that even when you get to 79 and Apocalypse Now was a success, it could have easily been a massive failure, that film. You know, it could, yeah, you know, could yeah, it could have been The Heaven's Gate. Flopped, yeah, exactly, yeah. it could have been that one. Uh, the, the fact that it wasn't is, is frankly remarkable, <laughs> really. Look at the history of that movie. You know, it's... it's, it's Frankly remarkable that that didn't bring out all Hollywood, you know. And <laughs> so it kind of eats through into the early eighties without a major like flop that really ruined the credibility. I mean, you had nineteen forty-one in the late seventies, which is Spielberg's follow-up. Follow-up to Jaws, Close Encounters. He's Close Encounters. Yeah. Follow-up to Close Encounters, which was a massive, yeah. massive yeah. flop, <laughs> but equally could have been seen as like, I guess, if you were looking at it from a point of view of of a historical point of view, it wasn't a new Hollywood film, and yeah. in its, in, in its design, its setup, in, in, in everything that it was, it was a, it was like a caper movie. It was a pastiche movie. It was a broad comedy movie like Hollywood used to make. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say, Adam. Yeah. I, I was just going to sort of jump in and say what what you've got here is instead of being influenced by the searchers and by film and by old Hitchcock movies and stuff, they're, they're actually now starting to try and remake those or yeah. re- recapture. Because you had a couple, you had, you had like um, you know, What's Up Doc by yeah. Peter Bogdanovich, yeah. which was yeah. a basically a remake of, of a classic screwball, screwball comedy. comedy. Yeah. And I guess you got things like The Long Goodbye, yeah. Uh, Robert Holman again, which is slightly different because he did bring something to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, essentially it was remaking it's, it's, it's a just classic film, classic line, line, yeah. yeah, which the Big Lebowski then did again, again, in, yeah, yeah, twenty yeah. years later. Yeah, yeah. So you you have you have those Hollywood directors not just content with 
referencing content with like bringing their takes to those classic you have them basically remaking stuff which again yeah. maybe is the beginning of the end yeah. in that respect so I can blame it all on what's up doc is that... <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> it took that's yeah. my take it on it maybe took 10 years for that to, to yeah. sort of filter through but yeah perhaps yeah. perhaps that's the first little domino that you, you pull out of the pile <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah or maybe it's that remakes and sequels don't work it's not yeah that's not the i think i think most of hollywood now would disagree (laughs) with that but the thing is with these films they weren't direct creative they they were sort of inspired by you know it was like new york new york is like martin scorsese he's not remaking a vincenti minnelli (laughs) musical but he's doing his own version you know getting getting vincenti's daughter to star in it so yeah yeah Um, Yeah. but uh, What's interesting about and again the, the list of films that Adam's prepared for us here to, to talk about this little section. Forty years on now from these, I, I love every single film in that list. <laughs> and and I maybe didn't when I went to see them at the time. I guess that's context. I guess I, mean, I guess what you're being marketed to at the time influences you even if you are not somebody who gets influenced by marketing. And I think maybe Reviews maybe have influenced those. Yeah, yeah. Some of the reviews that came out around those films were pretty damning. Oh, with Popeye in particular, which yeah. I wanted to talk about, which you've, you've, you've cited here. Robert Altman was was he was an interesting figure on this scene because um, he was he was older than most of the filmmakers, and he wasn't he he was too old to be a hippie, you know, and he <laughs> he wouldn't have wanted to be anyway. I don't think I he didn't, he didn't he doesn't seem to fit the uh, sensibility either. Massively. No, no, no. He, but he went off and did his own thing, and he sort of protested and had freedom to keep coming back to these words we've been using. He did all of that in his own way. Mm. He got his own sort of idiosyncratic sort of way of doing things and way of presenting his his, his subjects. And he's still a very anti-establishment filmmaker, working for the establishment, mm. working for the main studios, and you know. I mean, he, he's, he's right at the core of all this because he, he did an acid western, you know, he did McCabe and Mrs. Mm-hmm. Miller. He was doing some very controversial films. He'd done um, Thieves Like Us, which was a, 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 a remake of a, a classic uh, film noir sort of lovers on the run movie. And then Popeye, for me, is his masterpiece. I think it's great. And I, I, I can't remember which writer this was, but there was a writer some years ago who, who suggested that, because Altman was churning out movies, he was doing like two a year, and he did this great science fiction film, really good sort of apocalyptic science fiction movie with Paul Newman called Quintet. And at the end of that film, Newman's character who sort of survived this ordeal throughout the movie in this very sort of wintry, white, bleak setting, you know, just wanders off and, and, and disappears. And somebody pointed out that what we see at the start of Popeye is a character in a tiny character in a tiny little boat with the sea raging around him coming out of nowhere and sailing into uh, the port of Sweethaven. And they, they said, is it Paul Newman? Has Paul Newman's character from Quintet transmogrified into <laughs> into Robin Williams? You know, and I thought that was a fascinating sort of take on it. And I've always read Popeye now as being a continuation the, the, of that Quintet Part Two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it really works as that. You know, it's uh, if, if if you see the character of Popeye, don't judge it as all the critics did. Of oh, it's not like the old cartoons. It's <laughs> not like the old sort of 
King Features syndicate things, all the stuff we read in newspapers, you know. Is this guy from Morecambe Mindy who's got these fake arms on and he looks terrible and his performance isn't all that good and Altman's really messed up this time? It's easy to do that. It's easy to judge Popeye at face value and say, oh, it doesn't work, it's not a good film. Which audience was it aimed at? That was another thing. Because it was famously the first Disney film to have scenes set in a brothel, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, things like that. And it was like, we can't take the kids to this, but we don't want to go and see it either. Well, that's the fascinating thing about the A lot of 80s films have issues with that. Who who is it aimed at, you know? Well, again, that's down to, I think the filmmakers just got maybe too indulgent, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. and lost sight of their audience is that yeah. yeah I think Popeye's fascinating because I think now I don't, I don't think the what I don't think most people do you mean Becky do you have an image of what Popeye is from growing up the cartoons no, you had yeah because the kid. cartoons are still coming on oh, when okay. I was a kid yeah and when I first saw Popeye the film I was just I didn't like it either but yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what, as I remember what was interesting was when, when Robin Williams died the film that people contacted you about yeah, it was, yes, it was. Popeye it was well yes it was well I say people it was definitely one person yeah, yeah. repeatedly contacting yeah. me over and over and over and over again about and, showing and a tribute scene and it scene. wasn't me and so. it wasn't Darren no it was so we, we and we did we, we screened Popeye and we yeah. did a, a fairly good audience for it yeah. in the wake of, of from William's death sadly but it's certainly a curiosity yeah as a yeah. film yeah. Um, and, and you can see why it <laughs> crashed and burned and um, although Altman may not necessarily fit into New Hollywood in the sense that he's not part of the gang you know Popeye very definitely fits into this little group of disasters and yeah. they killed it all yeah. I think I think Altman's a fascinating one because I think he brings something that I guess many of the other ones maybe Coppola does but the the idea of the ensemble cast yeah as as being a key feature of what which he, he which he was, carried on doing right oh the exactly career, yeah he was, he was like, argued yeah like, yeah, yeah arguably the master of that Petaforte yeah, yeah. kickstarted with Mash yes, early yeah, on yeah, in, yeah. in in the, in the late sixties early seventies and even influential now because of course he worked with Julian Fellows who's got his new TV series sure. starting up and and had had Altman's movie with Fellows not been a hit you know yeah Gosford Park yeah yeah, yeah mm. they're, 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 we might not have Belgravia starting on TV. Yeah, or yeah. Downton Abbey. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> so you're, not, you're not selling it to me now, actually, Daryl. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. I'm, 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 just, I'm just pointing out, you know, the influence beyond the grave, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. that ensemble cast thing has obviously sort of filtered through and fellows have sort of thought, yeah, this this is something that I, I like doing, you know. Mm. And that comes from, I mean, he'd, he'd written the script and, and sort of pitched it to Altman, Altman sort of, oh this is my kind of thing you know this is what I do yeah but it's interesting how that's now carrying on into the British mainstream into into our mainstream TV yeah and how many people tuning in for Belgravia will think about Robert Altman and about New Hollywood when they're watching it (laughs) well I guess not a lot but equally I guess maybe Robert Altman was influenced by television as well because television has more of an ensemble cast feel to it anyway because you've got x amount of episodes being made you need to be able to focus on different characters so maybe it's just a circle completing itself in some ways but yes Popeye but but again feeding back into sort of like the big disasters around that period and also maybe the the remakes of other stuff like Sorcerer's in there which is a great movie but a remake of Wages of Fear 
and and got panned at the time. Absolutely. And, and the big thing with Sorcerer was that every everyone thought it was going to be a horror movie because it was coming out after The Exorcist. Yeah. You know, it was Friedkin's next film, and it's called Sorcerer. Exactly. Yeah. And people didn't get the film they wanted. And people who did know what it was thought it's not as good as The Wages of Fear. Yeah. What you're starting to get now is people saying, we actually think it's better than Wages Whoa. of Fear. <laughs> I've heard that a few oh, times, and I, I, I think they're about. I think they're both very, very good. Yeah, that's yeah, all I'm yeah. going to say on the matter. Yeah. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> but yeah, an, another film of of that era and of that little group of films that are perceived as being the ones that killed this whole scene off and almost destroyed Hollywood in in Toto, you know. And yet now it's seen as being a classic. Um, well, it re-released a couple yeah, of years yeah, ago yeah. in the new case. Yeah. It's a massive, it's a massive thing as well. So I guess you got other ones. Uh, I mean, the the, the 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 biggies, the biggies that were mentioned around this is, is Heaven's Gate. Yeah, Michael. One, one that's not on your list, which I mentioned earlier, is the Blues Brothers. Was that a flop? I thought it was a big success. But it was a big success. Yeah, which is maybe why you've not put it on there. But it was certainly indicative of this sort of bloating. You Definitely know, this, the bloating. Yeah. But, 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 but I, I still suppose put it's, that the into, it. it's the exception. It's the apocalypse now all. of car chase yeah, movies, yeah, I guess, yeah, if you want yeah. to look at it that way. And again, John Landis is another figure who was sort of around and skirted around this scene and was starting out and making films at the same time as all these yeah. guys, but never really sort of associated with them. He, he was a, another mm. John Waters. He was off yeah. doing his own I think thing. Dante as well. Joe Dante yeah, is part yeah, of that, yeah, where yeah, it's like... He, yeah. There, but not there, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and and they all link up with Spielberg and people sort of into yeah. after after this is all over in the mid eighties. You've got these guys making films together, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, when once all the fallout happened, you know, they oh we can be mates now, you know, and we love each other's films. And here's two hundred and fifty million dollars. Let's go and make another one, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I guess in, I guess in, in, in obviously Heaven's Gate, Michael Chimino was a was a very public one where it almost brought down the entire studio and then you've got one from the heart Francis Ford Coppola's massively voted uh, musical and then one that you you was mentioning as Reds um, Red, which Warren, was Warren Beatty Warren Beatty's favourite yeah so yeah. That, that movie was uh, critically acclaimed yeah, on, yeah, on, on, yeah. On really, so it wasn't a critical flop like a lot of the other ones were but it does signal the end of a sort of like era in the sense of like giving that freedom yeah, yeah. To a yeah. filmmaker. What's interesting about Reds is it fits into the new Hollywood thing and it fits into that sense of a filmmaker being allowed to do what he wants to do. But again, it harks back to this idea that what Warren Beatty wanted to do there was basically sort of make his Dr. Zhivago. Mm. There have been there have been films since Reds that are longer and there have been films that have been on, done on sort of epic themes, but really I, I think Reds is is the last of its kind. It's the last of that great old-fashioned old Hollywood. It's sort of got one foot in old Hollywood and one in new Hollywood. Mm -hmm. It's the last of those great old Hollywood historical epics. Mm -hmm. And um, again, another film that... Uh, well, I, I loved it at the time. I, I was a fan from, from day one. It was my, my favourite film of the year when it came out. I, I saw it age sort of 19 and I thought, oh, this, this is just brilliant, you know, blew me away. Forty years on, I, I, I think it's even better. So yeah, maybe maybe Biskind is onto something with Warren Beatty. Yeah, we've convinced ourselves yeah. of the cast. But, uh, <laughs> but again, it's in, look at Beatty's career since he's 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 sort of, he seems to make a film every fifteen years or yeah, he's done very little since. You know. Yeah, and I mean, I, I remember him 
from Dick Tracy growing <laughs> up. Yeah. He was Dick Tracy. And what was he, the, the, the politician thing where he became a rapper, Bullworth. Oh, Bullworth, yeah. 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 He did Bugsy as well. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's been about it, really. Yeah, yeah. the rules don't apply, was it yeah, last year? Yeah, and... and uh, crashed and burned. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. It's weird how he's sort of taken this back seat as though, as though the failure of Reds really, really burned yeah. him, you know. I mean, he did Ishtar, didn't he, as well, which is another oh, massive well, is, epic that, failure that, as that well. That may have contributed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that probably more than Reds is, is, is the... And, and again, what what's Ishtar if it's not an attempt to do one of those old Bob Hope Bing oh, Crosby um, yeah. movies yeah. On, on, on a, a yeah, budget to, more yeah. than they all cost put together, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, so I feel like I feel like we've covered most of New Hollywood. Is there anything, any anybody, anything that we we've missed that we think we should highlight? There's a couple of names I I, that I I think we've we've probably missed out a couple of areas anyway, particularly the, the idea of the road movie and the existential yeah, yeah, road movie yeah. in the early seventies, where you get things like Vanishing Point, Two Blame Blacktop, Monty yeah, Hellman, yeah. who, who and again that, this all sort of ties in with the acid western. Again, there are sure. sort of concerns shared there, and they're sort of weird. It's it's taking the American road. And it's it's making it into into a metaphor in the way that the acid western was sort of playing around with conventional western ideas. Very interesting as a part as a sort of parallel thing that was going on in American cinema that maybe again maybe wouldn't happen without Easy Rider. No, and I guess that's sort of like the idea of the road as being a search for for the self in those movies, a search for yeah. the hidden which heart of America. Which harks back to the searches again. And Absolutely, back to the classic yeah. Western. I guess that kind yeah. of started to go away when you had things like Jewel and our friend John Smith's not going to thank me on this one, but The Driver, yeah, yeah. where they took the road movie and said, actually, no, we can just do something really cool and, and crimey with it rather than, than make it more, yeah, yeah. make it about a search for the self, make it more about... But, but again, wouldn't The Driver in particular fit into the French New Wave to, sure. to bring it all back? Sure, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I guess, I guess the other, the other, for me, the other one, uh, and, and again, to carry on the road theme, uh, the idea of the disappearing line in the road being a, a trait of those movies definitely continues mm. in the career of David Lynch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and he had his start in the late 70s with like Eraserhead and then Oscar nominated for The Elephant Man, which is going to be released fairly soon in the UK cinemas. Um, again, another director on the fringes of, of the new Hollywood scene. Yeah. You know, not, not quite... In he, it, he, he, he was the guy who did the first tribute to these these nineteen eighty one eighty two disasters in making June a couple of years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you think you guys have messed up. Wait till you see this. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess the last word on that went to Brian De Palma. I think we bonfire the vanities in nineteen ninety. I, so, yeah. I guess that was yeah. the final, final, final <laughs> death nail in that whole um, new Hollywood directors <laughs> flopping at the box office. Um, Cool. Yes, I mean yeah. those are the two that I felt we should bring out. Yeah, yeah. I, I I wanted to throw in Hal Ashby as well. Oh, of course, who, yeah, yeah. Who I think was the for me, he's my favourite American director of of that period, um, and yet he's like Altman, he sits above it all the time. Mm. He's doing his own thing. But there's this run of films: The Landlord, Harold and Maud, Last Detail, Bound for Glory, Shampoo. Coming home and being there, you know, just seven. All including lots of the actors that we have just been talking yeah, about, yeah. Jack Nicholson, exactly. So, Warren yeah, Beatty, so there's the, yeah. Ashby sort of got one foot in the scene and one. It's as though he's sort of watching it from outside and yeah. cherry picking the best bits of it, you know. And Bruce Dern's in in sure. Coming Home and and. Uh, Robin Williams in what was the Hal Ashby Robin Williams Hal Ashby nineties film? Anyway, <laughs> yeah, Matt Frenick, um, he's, he's in there anyway. So. 
Ashby, I think, is is he's another one of these interesting figures like Altman, who was sort of just removed from it a little bit, but was around at the same time and occasionally dipping in to the pool and picking out a Jack Nicholson or someone, and again um, addressing a lot of the same concerns, but maybe from a slightly older, slightly more reserved sort of perspective. Mm. Not not so concerned about whether hippies got what they wanted because he he didn't, he didn't really care, you know. But uh, making this run of, of just flawless films in the seventies, I'd say, you, you know, there, there were there were a number of directors who had great great runs during that time. I think Ashby's is is up there with anyone's, you know, in terms of quality. We also talked about like Don Siegel earlier on. He had a bit of a renaissance in that period. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Sam Peckinpah and people like that. Who... Well, this, this brings in the name Clint Eastwood. And Clint Eastwood, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, who again, you know, Clint's often seen as being a, a full establishment figure and a bit of a right wing sort of figure. But you you well, yeah. you look at the subject matter of those films that he was making at the time of New Hollywood. Yeah. He's got one eye on that as well, you know. He does, yeah. But when you do a, a whole Republican convention where you talk to a chair, it's hard to really get beyond that, isn't it? <laughs> um but yeah, you're right, you're right. I mean but and equally he he was coming out of that spaghetti western, um, the Italian uh, western genre yeah, in the yeah. late in the sixties, which again had a massive influence on on acid westerns and yeah. in in the yeah. New Hollywood itself. Yeah. So and, that, and then, then you look at you know is the the team up with Siegel, the films he, he did with mm. him are fascinating, and certainly in in this sort of context, you know. Where you, I mean, you've got Coogan's Bluff, which has actually got a hippie sequence in it. It's got a great sort of, mm. uh, you know, acid party and some crazy nightclub with an amazing band on stage and go-go dancers everywhere, you know. And then, and then, um, you know, you, you you look at the the films are quite diverse actually. Mm. You know, you've got, you've got Play Misty for Me and you've got uh, Dirty Harry in the, around this time, and they're all different from each other, but they all sort of connect in a way to some of the themes that that. You know, Dennis Hopper and people are dealing with. You know, maybe again from an askew sort of viewpoint, from Siegel or from Clint Eastwood's own particular viewpoint. But yeah, very interesting. The the fact that there there are a lot of these films around that aren't necessarily new Hollywood, but they're clearly sort of tied to it or influenced by it. And I think it all makes for a fascinating period in American film history. Yeah, and another film that I was thinking, just to go more back towards the beginning, you know, in the sense of, I do think this is one of the most important times in the whole of particularly American filmmaking, because it's just so much um, freedom, is uh, Midnight Cowboy. Mm -hmm. Um, And to think how that film was made so early on, I still feel is, is one to note as well. Yeah. yeah, so that's what nineteen sixty nine. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, right, right in the midst of it. <laughs> well, that's that's another one you can put in that list with the Wild Bunch and Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. It's not a violent film like those, no. But it's it's sort of violent in its own way. It's got other other things going on. It's violent, maybe the wrong word. Challenging is about. Uh, I think I think it's yeah. Contra- yeah. Yeah. Contra- yeah. Contra- yeah. is the wrong word either. But it's, it's putting confrontational characters on the yeah. big screen yeah. that mm. wouldn't have been in movies just and three the, years and, before. And, yeah. the, and that you know a lot of the audience is going to react against and isn't going to want to go and see a film yeah. about. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, great choice. Yeah. Cool. Um, I think that pretty much wraps up New Hollywood. Thank you for joining us. Please check out our Facebook page for any more further details about us and also we'll put, hopefully we'll be putting up some episode notes for this particular episode on that Facebook page too. So we'll see you on the next one.